Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin. She's an author that's passionate about telling tales of resilience, survival, and hope. She's a best-selling author of The Tattooist of Auschwitz. I know many of you enjoyed that book. That sold six million copies around the world, and it gave so many other Holocaust survivors hope that they too could live a good life following an episode of intense pain. Now, in the book that we're discussing today on Read with me, Michelle Martin, author Heather Morris offers us an ode to listening it in an unfolding series of tales of the people that she's met on the journey to becoming a writer. Welcome, Heather Morris, to read. This is such a pleasure. Great to meet you. I wonder if we can start with how listening changed your life when you were a social worker once and how it led to the tale that would see you becoming a best-selling author, Heather. When you work in an acute hospital like I did for 20 years, listening is what you have to do. You are meeting people at the most tragic and traumatic times of their lives. And uh, if you want to help them make a tiny difference, then you must listen first and foremost. And so, yes, I practiced that for 20 years where I worked, but I also learned it as a child. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. And I think really the gift of your writing is, although it can seem very particular to your life, I mean, you talk about growing up in rural New Zealand, there seems to be an opening in all your stories for us to see ourselves. For example, I read that chapter where you talk about the connection that you had listening to your great-grandfather, and it reminded me so much of my own grandfather and our time together that seemed so special and me listening to his stories. I wept when I read that. Um, help us understand how listening has become important to you as a writer and why you chose to frame that as the heart of this book. The decision was made uh, in Kosciuszko in Slovakia a couple of years ago, and I was there with my publisher from London doing research for Silka. And I'd spent the day with my publisher and all these amazing, beautiful friends and neighbours of Silkas sitting in their little apartment, uh, anything up to a dozen people who had known her for decades. And I sat in that apartment for several hours as people came and went from the apartment wanting to talk to me. I had two translators because I didn't speak Slovakian and they didn't speak English. But in that time, just from looking at them and having my translators talking in my ear, I, I was just listening to what they were saying and they were connecting with me. And it's what I do all the time. But my publisher who was sitting there with me watching, later on that night she said, I just absolutely got blown away watching how the people that you never met before and who you did not speak the same language with, totally interacted with you, related to you, and wanted to talk to you. More importantly, wanted to tell you things. She said, how did you learn to just listen to them and engage and get people to engage back? And we'd had a couple of wines, and we'd moved on to coffee and port. Um, And I just automatically said, well, my great-grandfather taught me when I was a child how important it was to, to listen to not only other people, but your environment, the world around you. And I had a very small world back in New Zealand. And, um, and of course, that played out when I then went to work in a hospital. And to me, it just seemed to be the most natural thing to do. And she said, it's not the natural thing to do. I think we should write a book about that. That's fabulous. Whose stories, Heather, do you tell in this book? You mentioned your great-grandfather. Whose stories do you tell and, and why? 
Well, of course, I tell you about Lully, more about the, the tattooist of Auschwitz, Lully Sokolov, because when I go speaking to people now, people don't want to hear about the book. They read the book. Don't talk to me about the book. <laughs> tell me about your relationship with this man. And that seems to be as interesting as the substance of the book. And I do talk about that. So here's a perfect opportunity for me to share more of that relationship I had with this amazing man. And it was also important for me to well, tell readers about how I went about researching Silke's story because I could not uh, meet her. I did not meet her. For our listeners who are unsure who Silke is, um, could you give us a little background there? Silke, she is the young girl in the Tattooist of Auschwitz who saved Lully's life. And he made me promise that after I had written his story that I would tell hers. He was adamant on that. And, um, yes, I, I did. Silke's journey, the story of this 16-year-old girl and how she survived not only Auschwitz but 10 years in a Siberian gulag. And these are the people that I was then spending time with in Koshida who had known her for decades. And how can somebody, a young girl, endure two of the most evil, horrific periods in history and still become this beautiful, loving woman who so many people were so proud to call their friend and neighbour? So that's who Silke is, a woman whose story I had to tell. What's also interesting in this book is to see the precautions that you took to ensure that while he told you his story, Lali, reliving his story would not harm him. Can you tell us why you were initially worried and what precautions you took as a listener? I was worried for him. He wasn't um, as, as worried as I was. I was concerned that um, because he hadn't spoken out for decades, but there was a good reason for that. Gita, his wife of over 60 years, she did not want him to be talking about their time in Auschwitz-Birkenau. She wanted to move on and forget about it, if that was at all possible. And so he'd honoured that for decades. And there was always the concern that people might see the role that he had there as making him into be some kind of collaborator. And while he said, you just tell the world what I did and what I saw and what I experienced... Um, I did feel that I wanted to somehow protect him, but I needn't have bothered. Nobody on reading his story thinks of him as being anything other than this amazing man who helped when he could. And um, no, there, there is no hint of it, but maybe not being Jewish, I felt that, that also that need to protect him a little bit mm -hmm. because I have no history myself of the Holocaust. But um, now I happily tell all there is to know about Lully with the exception of one or two things which I hold dear to me and they're between him and I. Beautiful. It's amazing to see in this book stories of hope, really, uh, the backbones, the DNA of the book, The Tattooist of Auschwitz. For example, you reveal that when you were taking notes in your session with Lully, you have his story. Parallel to that is your reaction to his story. So did that come as um, an important part of your process for putting your book together, your reaction, and did you note that after you were listening to him or, or simultaneously? You know, that was weird. Um, I was making those notes on my computer when I left him, obviously went home, because I never took notes in front of him. And so to be able to then go home, and I was writing that down because I didn't know what I was dealing with. 
and I didn't know what was going to come of it. And, you know, I only found that document um, when I was writing Stories of Hope. I never consulted it again. I wrote it at the time, and then for over 10 years, that document was buried on my computer until I found it, and I, I remembered. That's right. I was I was making notes of how he was, how I was, what we talked about. So, no, it did not come in the book at all because I'd forgotten about it. That's so fascinating. So maybe it sort of seeped into your subconscious at some level. Is that how you make sense of, of things generally? you know, um, noting your reaction to, to things. Because I remember when I was in school, um, that was how I made sense of what I was listening to with my lecturer. I'd take down notes and then, you know, have my reaction to what I was listening. It would just help me oh, make sense of things. Uh, look, me too, particularly when you're hearing about something that not only is evil, but it's something that's foreign to you. And how it impacted me some days was, uh, you know, really quite, quite badly. And I, I needed to constantly remind myself that this was Lully's story mm. and that I had no right to own any part of it. And that was that kind of wanting to just keep myself emotionally uh, not disconnected from him, but being able to recognise what hearing his story was doing to me because at times it did take a, a toll on me and I needed to be reminded, not your pain, Heather, not your trauma. You don't get to own it. Very important point when it comes to encountering stories of pain. Now, you say the hardest lesson is listening to yourself. Why is that? Yeah. Look, I still think that, and I'm as bad as anybody. I don't know about you, but, gosh, I probably up here say worse things about myself and to myself than I ever say to another person. I don't even think about them for another person and I think that we're too hard on ourselves. And listening to yourself is listening to your head, your heart, and your body. And I try and practice that more and more. And that, that can mean when I'm sitting down writing, listening to my body say to me, get up off your bum. It's time to walk around. It's as simple as that. Or, or your head saying, yeah, that was a good day's work you did today. That was a good thing you did. Or your heart saying, I need to go and see my grandchildren. I feel the need to be loved and hugged by these people that are important in my life. So your body's talking to you all the time. We just um, don't listen to it as much as we should. But maybe, and now having got through many, many months of COVID and the kind of restrictions we've had, it's a good time to start thinking about practicing that listening to yourself. Absolutely. You're a number one New York Times bestselling author. Uh, tell us how... Yeah you know, listening to your inner critic, how do you balance that then when it comes to writing? Because I imagine the, the drafting and the reading of your own work and, and, and I suppose lis listening to your inner critic and then knowing when not to listen is a key part of your process. It is. Look, I'm helped by having amazing editors and publishers in London, okay? I've got to put that out there. Without them, these books wouldn't exist. But when it comes to, to listening to what I'm writing... Uh, I'm possibly not a traditional writer because I wrote my first book at the age of 65 and I did not know what I was doing. And so for me to write stories, I just write what's coming in my head. You know, when I write Luddy's story and when I wrote Silka's story, I read somewhere that a good way to tell a story that a reader will follow is to just research, 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 
now throw the research away and write. And so when I'm writing these stories, I have no papers in front of me. There's no documents. If I haven't got it up here, then it doesn't go on the page. So I've got to be able to just sit here and just let it pour out because I've totally you know, got it into my whole being, my head and my heart and my body, and that's the only way I expect you can then read it and make sense of it. Oh, that's fantastic. I have copied it down from notes and from research. Because I think especially for historical fiction or when telling someone else's story, there's a tendency to want to be very precise and, and, and honour the memory and so keep to the material, but you say take it in, internalize it, and then you let it go, and that's how you, that's your process. What do you say to to older people who want to start writing their own story? Um, any tips for them? Yeah, what's stopping you? <laughs> <laughs> only only your inner head, only your own inner self is doing that. And that, by the way, Michelle, is one of the other reasons why uh, both this book, Stories of Hope, came along. You know that, well, you do not know, but for the last two years, I've travelled extensively, spent over half each year out of Australia and met so many thousands of people where I talk in many, many countries. And one of the overriding things that people would say to me when they came up to talk to me afterwards was, I regret that I never spoke to my mother, my father, my grandmother. There's so much about my own family members that I, in fact, do not know and how they regret that because they're no longer with them. And so that whole notion of finding some way of talking to other people was what I wanted to put into Stories of Hope so that you don't end up with regrets. I regret that I didn't talk to my father enough. I too have that regret. And I think that that is common, as you say. And in one chapter you say, listen to your elders' advice, not because they're always right, but because they have more experiences about being wrong. I just love that. Yes. Love it. We don't always listen to people around us, particularly our elders. Uh, What do you say in this book about that? Oh, absolutely. They've got more experience of making mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you don't get to make your own mistakes. Quite the opposite. You only grow by making your own mistakes. But if you can listen to somebody who has, as I say, made um, 50 years more mistakes than you, just enjoy them talking about those mistakes and enjoy listening to how they handled their life going forward, you will be rewarded. You you, you may never take anything away, but, but you will be rewarded for listening to people who you take the time to engage with. Not a conversation. Conversations is when you open your mouth and you say something as well. That's not a listening. That's just listening to respond. But it's called active listening when you actually listen so that you can understand what someone's telling you, not so that you can respond. Yeah. As a journalist, I really resonated uh, with, with that message in the book. I wonder if you've heard from your listeners, you know, uh, your, your readers rather, do they get in touch with you? Do they share with you what they enjoyed about this book? Since the tattoos came out, thousands and thousands of people have written to me every day. There's not a day goes by. There's another three or four there this morning. Uh, uh, you know, I've never written to an author and said, how I'm going to do it. I must do it because I know uh, what it means to me to get these amazing letters. And I'm just currently in the last uh, 10 days been having emails backwards and forwards with a young 15-year-old girl in London. 
and uh, and just her what she told me about the, the change that she's making in her life as a 15-year-old because of taking the hope from Lully and Silka's stories and wanting to have a better life and be a better person. And she's 15, Michelle. That's incredible. So she and I currently, and I heard back again from her just yesterday because I do take the time to, to reach out to them. But, um, yeah, when the, the, and what's been wonderful is the number of people who are young parents, they've got little kids themselves, and they've read the chapter about listening to your children. And they've written and told me, my four-year-old talks all the time. And after I read your book, I thought I'd actually stop and listen to them. And I took the time to hear what they had to say and realised that for the last two years that they've been talking, I've not been listening to them. And they have amazing things to tell me. I'm learning about my three and four-year-old because I'm listening, not because I'm watching them and listening to them babble. Oh, my goodness. That is so beautiful. Well, we appreciate you joining us on air here on Singapore's most influential radio station. I loved reading Stories of Hope. So, Heather, thank you for joining us. Absolute pleasure. And um, I'll get to your country as soon as we can lift the borders, okay? Yes, please do. Please do. And we'll have coffee, hopefully. That's Heather Morris, author of the book that we're reading today, Stories of Hope. I'm Michelle Martin, and this has been Read. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.